Catch up fam, Eli's exploring Europe. So we've got managing editor Reach Ginto filling in. We've got some hot news stories for you this week as we talk about a childhood classic changing its form. Otter Pops removing all artificial flavors. We're also going to dig into Subway's biggest announcement in a while as they will now be serving a meatless version of their meatball sub, collaborating with Beyond. And kicking things off, we are joined by a talented Food Beast contributor. You've seen her writing in publications like LA Taco, Los Angelino, The Ringer, and more. We're joined by Virali Dave, and you've seen her writing amazing article on foodbeast.com about an Indian American culture and its affinity for Taco Bell. We've got a great one today, guys. Izzy, hit the music. Welcome to the catch-up. Introducing your hosts, Eli Aruth, editor and Jeffrey Kutnick, CEO, and apparently the only guy who takes this podcast seriously. Of the craziest, most bestest, news-breaking, food porn-peddling, viral website on the dot-coms, It's crazy when your future is decided by an algorithm. Dude, this pizza is fucking crazy! There's not one person in this entire world that believes you. Alright, and welcome to the catch-up. Farali, welcome to the catch-up. Yeah, welcome. Thank you for having me. So, can you can you give us an understanding a bit more about... Uh, who you are, where you're, where you're from, and uh, and yeah, kind of your story. Get our get our listeners kind of a, a brief background on on who you are. Sure. Um, I was born in India, in Mumbai, and my parents and I moved to the U.S. in '98. We moved to Houston, and then I think about a year after we moved to New Jersey. That's where I grew up. A year and a half ago, I moved out here to L.A. I'm a writer. That's what I do. <laughs> How old were you when you uh, moved here to the U.S.? I was three. You were three. Yeah. So is there, I mean, I don't reach, do you remember anything when you were three? Because I don't personally remember anything from three and below. In terms of specific memories, I got like specific memories when I was three. Like I remember writing on the wall of my mom's lipstick and get my ass <laughs> about for it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's uh, yeah. I do remember stuff because I asked that maybe because my memory is bad. Because is there anything from from India that you do remember? I grew up going every other summer to India to okay. visit my grandparents. I definitely don't remember before that. Um, I just remember like being a kid, not a toddler. <laughs> sure. And when talking with your parents, what was what was the main purpose for moving to the U.S.? Just like the classic wanting to build a better life situation, very American dream, um, if not for themselves, for me and my brother who was not yet born. I can relate. I mean, yeah. that's how I came to this country too when I was four. Oh, no way. Yeah. So I, I remember that scary, where am I feeling in a new country, stepping off the plane and all that. And it's for the same reasons why your family moved here. So yeah, you remember step. You were four. You remember stepping off that plane and having anxiety, dude. I I remember on the plane throwing up after eating a hot dog because <laughs> I was so like nervous for some reason. 
as a four-year-old well um, i mean because as i mean as we're all adults now i mean that makes tons of sense but i think maybe as a kid you just don't understand what you're feeling in mm-hmm. that moment yeah at the time i just threw up i was like right. okay <laughs> this hot dog sucks but looking back and i'm like yeah it was probably it was probably through those type of feelings dude that's crazy to think about because yeah i don't i think we normally kind of disassociate um emotions or feelings like anxiety with small kids because like they will mm-hmm. they don't even know yeah. but i think that's a prime example of i think even a very young child can understand trauma can understand for sure massive change and when you're leaving a country but all that you know behind and and stepping into something that's brand new i mean i had a i had anxiety of going to a new school and that's nothing compared to <laughs> stepping into a new country so was that was that really is that something that you experienced kind of growing up at least on on any level or were you kind of young enough to um come into that culture and understand it from an early age my school experience was all in the same town in the same town in new jersey but So I didn't have that like getting off of a plane experience so much and knowing like, oh, I'm in a new place. I do have some like flashbulb memories of driving from Houston to New Jersey with my dad. But again, I wasn't really anxious so much. I think the anxiety memories that I have are more like I didn't speak English very well right away. And teachers would say my name and I didn't know what they were saying. So I wouldn't respond like Mm. I didn't recognize my name is like like that wasn't my name to me. I just hadn't heard it that way. So I would like get in trouble for that kind of thing. Mm. Or like, I don't know, like small cultural things where like you do your hair differently or like you wear a different outfit for picture day. Like I think that's where the anxiety would come in. Do you have any like specific memories tied from, I guess, the the transition of foods from like India to America? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, I used to take like hot or like cold lunch um, to school, like to the cafeteria and Uh it would be like Indian food, like roti shak, which is like, I don't, I'm not going to explain it because (laughs) there's, it's like kind of a tortilla I guess and like vegetables and kids would definitely be like oh what are you eating that's so weird or like the principal would come over and be like oh that's really cool what are you eating but then everyone would look at you mm. so like I guess that was my like foreignizing experience and then were there there other people from India or Indian Americans at your school or was were you uh in New Jersey or Houston were you, is it was it did you stand out in that way in Houston, I never really thought about it because my parents' best friends, which is like another couple, they had a daughter who was a year older than me. So from what I remember of that year, we just hung out, the six of us, and she was like my best friend or like we would fight, but we were like kids. Um, in New Jersey, I had Indian American friends growing up for sure, but I like, I didn't come to terms with loving my identity until much later. I was like sadly one of those kids who like wished she was white. I used to just... Like, we were taught to be ashamed of it. It wasn't something that you, like, leaned into until much later. (laughs) You were taught to be ashamed of it. I mean, no one's, like, coming up to you and being, like, you should be ashamed to be brown. But there's experiences that you'll have where you're, like, you're taught that you're you're shown that you're, like, the weird Indian kid in the room. Mm. And so that was from external, not internal, where it's not, like, your family's, like, oh, try act American. Oh, definitely not. No, they were were very much supportive of, like, you can be who you want to be. If anything... There was a sense of like you don't want to be too american <laughs> mm, yeah I see. like 
retain your cultural values and like remember that kind of aspect whereas like the outside world was like don't be too brown your your piece was really enlightening to me um so if you guys haven't read it check out foodbeast.com um but i think there was surprise on my side i guess from um not only talking about the your personal experience with taco bell and i think the almost monumentous role it played in in at least in certain feelings and supporting Mm -hmm. your family and i think i've just never not never but it's rare for me to think of fast food kind of in that way yeah Uh, i think the average person thinks about fast food and they're either a making a judgment about it in some way or b like oh i just need something quick but not necessarily realizing especially if you're not um a part of the upper echelons of our culture and society that this is something that's really serving different groups Mm -hmm. in a way by being by being affordable or by being available. Yeah. Um, but when did when did Taco Bell kind of come into your life and can you kind of describe um, yeah, you, some of your first experiences with Taco Bell? I don't remember my first experience because I was like three years sure. old. But I asked my dad this on the phone this morning um, if he remembered his first time eating Taco Bell and it was 1998, <laughs> right when we first moved to Houston. And he said that a couple of his colleagues were just going out for lunch and they asked him if he wanted to join and he liked it because it was affordable. And he said the flavors were very like familiar to him to like what he liked. Um, and like, since then we've just been going as a family. What do you think that familiar familiarity was for him? And, um, is it, is it spices? Is it types of meat? Like, or oh, sorry, not meat. Cause you, I believe in, are you and your family vegetarian? My dad is. Uh, my mom will occasionally eat meat. My brother eats everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I just started eating shrimp like two weeks ago. Okay, so pescatarian, but going away from meat currently yeah. is where, where you mm, are? Sure. <laughs> Ish. Yeah. Um, so what do you think that familiarity was for your father with Taco Bell? Yeah, so he mentioned that he liked that it was very veg-friendly, like everything on the menu can be made vegetarian pretty much. But even beyond that, I think like if you eat at McDonald's, for example, like to this day, I, I just, like, there's nothing I can get there other than fries and like if I want like the ice cream. Whereas Taco Bell, like they have the veggies that like every, everyone knows tomatoes and lettuce, you know, like in any country, I think, or I, I would assume. Um, and like th- th- there's like a flatbread with the veggies is familiar. Or there's like rice with the beans is familiar. And like there's spice. Everything, I think everyone wants spice in their food, or at least I feel like it's a safe assumption that all brown people want spice in our food. Sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> So I think my dad must have appreciated that too. And like, I can't handle spicy food, but I like, I like a good mild sauce. <laughs> cause I, cause I'm under the assumption that, well, I look at Taco Bell through a very different lens, right? I mean, one, I grew, I grew up, I ate Taco Bell, but I never thought of it as vegetarian. And I also don't think I ever knew you could switch items to be vegetarian, mm-hmm. um, even though that's well known now and very well documented on the internet. Like even 
maybe even up to eight years ago, I remember like a viral piece talking about all the ways you can be vegetarian at, at Taco Bell and it trafficking really well for Food Beast. Yeah. And I was like, oh wow, I had no idea. And it did, it's not like they position that on their window decals or that's yeah. what you hear on a radio or a TV spot. And so was that something that people just knew and kind of talked about within themselves and it became aware in different communities? Or how do you think Taco Bell became popular uh, with groups like Indian Americans? I think if you're a vegetarian and if you're a newcomer to a country who's a vegetarian, you're gonna be looking for veg options anyway. And you'll try one place, you'll try another. And you just know, like you learn through trial, trial and error where you can get those options. And I guess it, it spread from one person to another. Like to this day, I don't know why people from all parts of the country, like Indian American people or like South Asian American people will eat Taco Bell. Like I don't know how the news spreads. I don't know if they're coming here and like their uncle or their like friend is showing them like, oh, here's Taco Bell. I like, I don't have an answer to that and I wish I did, but I just know that we like it. <laughs> when did you realize that Taco Bell being popular among Indian Americans was, I guess, a national thing and something that was outside of your own family's likes. Yeah, I knew that we all liked it in elementary school because, like I said, I had other Indian American friends. Uh -huh. And when I went to college in D.C., there were kids that were coming from all over, mostly like the East Coast, but there were Indian American kids that I knew. Um, I was on a dance team, so I knew kids from different parts of the country that were Indian American. Um, and we all liked it. Like we would go as a team before like a dance competition or like after dance competition. And you could see like 20, 25 brown kids at a table or at multiple tables, just like going to town <laughs> with like chalupas and whatever. Would you say that, what were your options like? And obviously you can speak to, I think Houston a bit and probably more to New Jersey and mm -hmm. obviously now in LA. But when you were, when you were younger, what were the were there veg quick service options like outside of Taco Bell? Because were you guys excited about it because it was good? Were you excited about it because it was the option that existed? Like describe mm -hmm. what the what you remember of restaurants you may or may eat at, which also I'm making an assumption, but I don't know if you ate out a lot as a family, but yeah. give me some rationale about like why Taco Bell and, and where restaurants kind of sat for you when growing up? Yeah, I don't think my parents are big foodies, to be honest. And even when we travel, they'll go for like an option that they know. Um, for example, we went to, I wanna say like England. We were in London and we went to Subway. <laughs> and we ate elsewhere, but like they'll, they'll choose what's comfortable. So even when they came to visit me in LA um, like a year ago, one of their meals was like Subway. So I think that when, they, when they're in a foreign place and they don't know like what is and isn't comfortable for them. They'll choose what is familiar. And I think that another thing my dad mentioned on the phone this morning about why he liked Taco Bell is that he felt very comfortable there. He's like, everyone was nice. And I think when you're an immigrant or a newcomer anywhere, like you want people to be nice to you and not everywhere, you're not gonna get that everywhere. And I think like fast food is one of those places you might get it a little bit more than like some upscale hoity-toity like fine dining restaurant in any city. Um, but I used to eat meat growing up. Like I, like I have an attachment to like McDonald's chicken nuggets, even though I don't eat chicken. So I don't know. I don't know if that answers your question. No, it does. And I think it was, I'm just curious 
because I don't even to this day there aren't prominent vegetarian or vegan like chains and so if you're a random person in anywhere USA mm-hmm. like yes the amount of craft options available to you I think has drastically changed over the 10 years I can find a pretty good or pretty amazing restaurant almost anywhere I go in the country nowadays because the foodie movement is so alive and well and we will spend our money and support a good restaurant or at least neighborhoods and cities are choosing to do that but if I was under the limitation of I'm looking for something quick and affordable on the vegetarian or vegan scale like yeah that's somewhat relevant with independent shops and and now growing chains Mm -hmm. but None of them are McDonald's. None of them are KFC. None of them are Taco Bell. And so, you know, I'm, I'm curious about if another place even would interest your parents um, on that level. Because I don't know where you were in New Jersey, but mm-hmm. I'd imagine the options are somewhat limited. Veggie-wise? Veggie-wise. I think there was definitely, like, quite a bit veggie-wise. In terms of fast food... Burger King has always made a veggie burger, at least as far as I know. Um, But we ate at a lot of Mexican restaurants. I do remember that. Um, We ate at a lot of of Indian restaurants, and North Jersey especially has a pretty big Indian-American population. Um, And I didn't realize that, like, the rest of the country didn't have that. Oh, sure. (laughs) Um, But we, like, my mom cooks a ton, so we would eat at home a ton. Like, whether it was Indian food or not, she's a great cook, so... So you were in a specific community that had presumably a lot of vegetarians and a lot of Indian Amer- Indian Americans? I don't know that my town has a lot of Indian Americans, to be honest, but like I live in a very Italian-American town and like okay. everyone loves pizza. <laughs> so pizza was a big part of my, my upbringing as well. Um, but there's a town not too far from us called Edison, New Jersey. That's like a little India um, where they have everything like you walk around and you kind of feel like you're in india so i'm curious about um i guess this connection i kind of made in my head when you mentioned you guys would eat out and eat at mexican restaurants and then suddenly there's this taco bell connection is that a larger overarching thing where indian americans love mexican food and really drawn to it i honestly can't speak to that for the entire like indian american population but for the people that i know like Honestly, who doesn't love Mexican food? <laughs> Great point. <laughs> yeah. And it, it can be semi-veg friendly. Like when I go around like taco places in LA, I can't find a good veg taco. Like there are places that do it, but I can't just walk up to any taco truck or like any taco stand and get a good mm-hmm. veggie taco that isn't just like lettuce and tomatoes and cheese. But if you go to like a sit down restaurant in New Jersey where there aren't that many taco stands, like your experience of Mexican cuisine is so different and can be a bit more veg friendly. There was a moment in your piece where, uh, I've, I've felt something, um, (laughs) you were talking and there were multiple places, but there was one place in particular where I, I almost choked up a bit. Um, and it was the conversation that you were having with your parents about the chalupa and Mexican pizza. Can can you tell tell our listeners of what that conversation was? Yeah. Um, so we, the four of us, were like in an argument. We were driving up to 
Andover, Massachusetts, where we have some cousins. And I don't even know what started the argument, but it was like one after another after another where we were just like very annoyed. And for context, I had just graduated from college. Like this was the summer after college. And I had spent a lot of time thinking about like how lucky I was to study creative writing in English. Like my parents have never pressured me to study medicine or law or, you know, anything that's a bit more lucrative. <laughs> um, and I love, I loved what I studied. So I, I was like, we were all, the four of us were very annoyed in the car, but I was also like a little bit grateful. And we were also as a family just getting very close that summer um, when I moved back home. So we were arguing and at the same time, like when that, when all those arguments ended was when my brother brought up the idea of getting Taco Bell because we needed food when we were driving up. And rather than finding some like random pit stop, I don't like where else, we were only gonna go to one place. Um, and I think that in that context, was when I like asked them like, why, why Taco Bell? Or my brother asked them, why do we always eat this? What, like, did we always get what we used to get? And growing up, I used to eat a lot of chalupas. I don't anymore. Um, but when they brought that up, like I, I wrote it in the piece, but I like very much started crying and just like thanking them for all that they have done for me. Like it's one, it's like a Mexican pizza, but it's also like what the Mexican pizza symbolizes, like all that they've sacrificed for us. And for them, like they don't, lord that above our heads it's just like what is done yeah and for the people that haven't read the piece so part of that conversation specifically was a mexican pizza was 99 cents mm -hmm. right yeah. and then like the chalupa was like 80, 88 or 89, 89 cents yeah and, and they remember that like the relationship you have to have with money to remember what something was maybe 20 years ago where like you were you literally have to know the difference of a dime and i like my brother when he was born we're, we're six years apart his relationship with money is so different from mine in that he hasn't seen the same struggle that i sort of witnessed like i remember when we got our first tv and i remember when we got a landline and like i have some flashbulb memories of like my parents bringing home a toy and me like my dad bought a video game for me when I was maybe five or six and I knew like, I don't need this and we don't necessarily have to spend this money. Like we can, we can say no. And like to think that like they paid for my college tuition in full and it's something that I feel super privileged about and like to go from there to here and to not, like it's it's a Mexican pizza. <laughs> well, yeah, and then cause the, cause you, you were talking about how in your piece, they would buy you the Mexican pizza every time, mm -hmm. even though that they would only order chalupas for themselves, Yeah. right? So they were specifically picking one of, or if not the cheapest item off the menu mm -hmm. and allowing their daughter to splurge on what she wanted. Yeah. Um, and so that was, was that the conversation where you realized that even though they were watching every penny, but choosing allowing you to choose was was that an impactful moment for you oh my god i haven't stopped thinking about it i've been trying to write this essay for like a good two years and i wrote it six months ago so it's a, a bit of an older piece but it messed me up like to to know that my parents were doing that for me like i was my first reaction was like not annoyance but like why did you do that you didn't have to give me the more expensive option like your stomachs are bigger, you're adults, like you've worked for your money, like you don't have to give me everything I would have understood. But like to think that that's just how they live their lives, that's how parenting looks for some people to be that like 
generous. I mean, I could, I could definitely relate, especially on like the food tip in terms of parents sacrificing a lot. Um, already as immigrants, they are just leaving a country that they knew the comforts of it all just to provide their kids, you know, a the better future. life, their future, a better life. And um, when I was growing up, my parents would always get KFC and always would get uh, McDonald's fries. And they would always say, oh, yeah, we like the crispy, the dry fries. I was like, okay, why? Like, it's the soggy fries that are the best at the bottom. And then they were, and my, my dad and my mom would always get the breast pieces uh, at the KFC bucket. Then one time I came home early from school and I saw them digging into some KFC and some fries. And they dove for the, the thigh piece and they dove for the drumstick piece first. And they drove for the soggy fries. And I was like going on here so i brought it up later and my my pops is like well we knew you liked the the thigh piece and the drumstick piece and you liked the soggy fries piece and this went on for years and the, you know like kind of kind of like how you mentioned varley you broke down i kind of broke down too knowing that for they were yeah. doing that for years just letting me have what i want i you so you've had a connection or you've had a love for fried chicken the entire time sure. i've known you yeah you've now like connected that to like a huge piece of like, your familial history and your upbringing which makes makes fried chicken even deeper on that level yeah um which yeah which is which is pretty crazy because again for anyone who's read a reach ginto piece here food beast there's a lot of fried chicken and and what you're passionate about and i guess yeah we i just pinpointed it right now with that story um yeah that's where my love comes from like so there there wasn't there was a number of terms in your articles um that i don't understand <laughs> um i also don't know if there are certain terms that I should say or not because I don't know if they're like culturally slang yeah, or not. I don't think there's any derogatory terms okay, in the piece. Okay, and I, I didn't think there would be, but yeah. I also don't know. Um, but you, asking. <laughs> but you use terms, um, well, it's, is it desis? Desis. Say that one more time. Desis. Desis. Yeah. Um, and NRIs. Mm -hmm. And I think you used a term for being a big sister as well. Didi. Yeah. yeah, can you can you break down kind of sure. each one and uh, explain them, and so just I can be kind of more aware of of the culture you come yeah. from because I with context I think I understood it within the piece, but then I was like, oh, I would love to know more about this so I can, if someone had a question, I could speak on it. Yeah, for sure. Didi is the most simple, so I'll just address that one. It literally just is what you call your big sister. Um, not all families will use it, and I think that when my brother was born, my mom was like, what do you want him to call you? Um, and as he's gotten older and I have like younger cousins that call me Didi as well I'm like you can call me by my name if you want in public <laughs> like you don't have like people will ask like what does that mean or whatever and if you want to avoid that conversation I get it but like they like to use it and I like being someone's Didi um, the other question you asked was Desi um, it just means person of like the homeland or the motherland um, and it can be used in the context of like people from South Asia whether it's India, Pakistan, Bangladesh what have you um, and then NRI is a term that means non-resident Indian. For most of my life, I thought it was non-residential. Did a little, <laughs> little bit of fact-checking. Um, and it just means someone who doesn't live, an Indian person or a person of the Indian diaspora who doesn't live in India. So whether you're living in Canada or like the UK or the US, you're an NRI. 
we we had a guest on the podcast maybe three months ago um who is from indigenous descent here in the u.s and he kind of broke down that um as much as indian isn't the right term for uh his greater kind of group of people that it's been so established throughout american culture that they still use the term indian like so the most popular indigenous newspaper has indian in the title is there is there do you experience any confusion with the word indian um, in the u.s because that to me as an outsider not being indigenous and also not being of um you know of india specific Mm -hmm. descent um that's always been kind of confusing to me and i'm just curious about if you've had any experiences with that if it's confusing to you as an adult (laughs) try being a five-year-old immigrant (laughs) and hearing people talk about indian people in the u.s and being like oh is that me like do i identify with pocahontas now yeah and like having to unlearn like oh that's not that's not what they're talking about that's not my culture especially if it's also i can i can only imagine you being in like the third or fourth grade uh experiencing what's still somewhat of a new culture and a new language and then being taught christopher columbus and the indians in textbooks and then yeah yeah unlearning that i I don't know that feels that feels just like a some additional baggage to kind of deal to deal with yeah everything's additional baggage (laughs) to deal with um i think i don't remember at what point people started using native american instead of indian or like and that's not standardized like you just touched upon um and i don't know at what point i learned like this is related to me and this is not related to me so taco bell's been making some announcements um and one of the most recent and contemporary announcements and i want you guys to both kind of comment on this is they've specifically they've met with beyond and they've met with impossible and they've specifically said that they're going to double down on vegetarian items versus including what i what i believed i think we can call them both powerhouses of consumer packaged goods of processed food because that's what they that's what they are i mean there's massive headlines of wide distribution i mean even on our site the past couple of weeks we've been we've been talking about burger king and the impossible whopper that just came out um i know not too long ago del taco said it was its most popular item release in the history of del taco um i'm I'm curious about how you guys feel with taco bell kind of saying no to those things and and doubling down on on the vegetarian menu we've kind of already discussed i mean i think it's just them knowing the mastery of their lane um sure there's this wave of plant-based meat beyond impossible being a bunch of fast food joints and whatnot Maybe they see, you know, the writings on the wall of an oversaturated market mm-hmm. with plant-based meats, and they know that they're crushing and killing it with vegetarian options that have already been there and have been successful for them. Um, that's my speculation into it. However, it is a curious move on their part, I think, because it's such a huge movement right now that it's, it's pretty much encroaching on mainstream um, culture. 
So plant-based meats, whether it be beyond or impossible, not being in Taco Bell menus. I mean, I'm trying to think five years from now, I'm like, that's kind of weird, you know? So it's, it's to me, it's both a curious move, but also I get it in terms of like the the immediate. Probably how you feel about that. I respect it. <laughs> I tweeted about this when I saw that Taco Bell had tweeted like that they're continuing and always have like supported continuing to support and always have supported vegetarian options. Um, I, I agree with you, Reach, in that I think it's weird that they're not like trying to make themselves more palatable to everyone. But at the same time, I respect that. Like she will change for no man. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think that it's true. Like they have always been veg friendly. I will say a friend pointed out to me that Del Taco has also always been veg friendly, which oh, is not something that I knew. I think it's a similar thing where you can just like substitute the meat out or be like, or just tell them to like remove it. Um, but yeah, I respect that. Taco Bell has my heart. <laughs> yeah, because a big thing about eating veg at fast food also has to deal with how they prepare veg, right? For because sure. um, in your piece, you describe that you know for a long time, major fast food chains and I don't and Mc, I think you mentioned McDonald's, yeah. right? Is that if they use oil with meat based items and then prepare your you know, there was a big controversy, what, in the 90s about the their French fries and their the the beef fat that I think was used in their French fries. Beef tallow. Beef yeah. tallow. Yeah. Um, so, what is that? So beef tallow is kind of like just rendered beef fat and they use oh. that and they cook, it was, they cook it in that oil or that beef tallow. Um, that's why the fries were so bomb in the 90s for, for <laughs> McDonald's, but they've switched off for the, out of them and people have complained since. And so I'm curious of, is there a lot of research that you've known in, in the Indian American community about, do you, do you have, are there cashier conversations happening, right? With, okay, you have it, it's technically vegetarian, but how do you prepare it? Is that, is that a question that commonly comes up in those interactions? Yeah. My dad will always ask. Yeah. Um, different people have different like tolerances for that kind of thing. And as I'm like starting to eat shrimp a little bit, I'm like, whatever, if there's fish sauce in my Thai food, like I'm not going to complain or I'm not going to ask. But yeah, that, that really grosses me out. Like I've gotten fries where there'll be like a little bit of fried chicken in there. And I'm like, I didn't, I specifically didn't want this. So I can see why people want that oil to be separated. Like you're getting a lot of particles of like, to be kind of gross of like dead bodies. <laughs> and if you don't eat a dead body, whether it's like an animal, I mean, obviously it's an animal, um, you don't you don't want that in your food. So I think that like for stricter vegetarians, that difference is like very imperative. It's huge, <laughs> honestly. And I, w I wanted to touch base too, before, before we get into some of our other topics, um, we didn't, I know we mentioned the, the 89 cent chalupa and the 99 cent Mexican pizza, but how important do you guys feel um, about what fast food al allows people to eat from um, like a monetary financial perspective? How important is that? How important is fast food to, um, to our society? And we, and why I ask that is because I don't think, I think most people project the opposite. Like how can we get rid of fast food mm -hmm. because it's unhealthy or 
we should be eating less of it or et cetera, et cetera. And I don't really, I'm pretty solidly in the middle ground is where I see a great place for it. But I also don't eat it all the time because I'm trying to like watch my own nutrition. I'm curious about how you guys feel about it because if, if I can jump off personally, um, I was actually talking to my, my cousin-in-law who's <clears throat> in investment banking. And about three years ago, he was kind of mentioning to me, he's going, you know, he was specifically interested in continuing to invest in quick service restaurant companies because his data was showing him that more and more of the poorest populations in our country rely on this food for just straight sustenance. Like not, I'm eating this today because I want to eat it. I'm eating this today and tomorrow and the next day because this is what I can afford. And as much as I think we can argue about the nutritional value of said foods, um, there's also the counter argument for how we feel with a warm meal and how we feel when we can purchase a meal that we can afford no matter who you are. And that's, that's really important and I don't wanna leave that part out of the equation. And so I'm curious about what your thoughts are about that, like fast food serving a community or not. Um, the topic of food deserts comes into play, mm -hmm. but for me, I didn't grow up in a food desert, but all I ate was fast food because it played more into the point that you raised about just being a cost-effective thing. Um, it's quick, it's easy. Our parents are working multiple jobs to raise us. Um, we're left with our grandparents as babysitters and you know they just they have enough on their plate to be raising us while also cooking and everything so let's just, let's just go to mcdonald's it's a quick and easy fix you guys go play in the the playpen and grandma's gonna go shopping type of thing but um for me it's really most of more more so the cost effectiveness of of fast food uh yeah i mean Sure, the food desert topic goes into play, but not on my end. And I, I can't speak towards that. But maybe, Raleigh, you might have a different opinion. Yeah, I also didn't grow up in a food desert, but I think that the idea is like if people are going there because that's what they can afford, then what can we do to make healthier, affordable options available to them? Like whether it's education programs with like how can you cook an affordable and healthy meal, like what Anthony would do on Queer Eye, for example. Sure. Or like, I don't know, like, what what does their grocery option look like? Like, how can we change food deserts into not being food deserts? How do you guys feel about the state of grocery store pricing? And this is a whole other topic, but it's sparking something, and I, and I want to go with it. Because if I, I'm on the internet a lot, and when I'm looking up the average food recipe, right, that I've that I've never done before, something I'm like, oh, cool, that's a dope video, let's save that, let's look at the editorial link for the ingredients and the instructions and then I take that, whether that's on my phone or whatever, to a grocery store and buy what I need for that, very, very rarely am I saving money on any level because the ingredients that I need is I'm buying a spice that's six or seven bucks that I never, I don't have in my pantry but need for this dish. Um, there's produce involved, there's protein involved, 
And then there are times where like I'm at the I'm at the grocery store checkout and I'm spending like forty five dollars on like and, and it's really around that number. Like, mm-hmm. you know, thirty five, forty, forty five, fifty dollars if I'm at Whole Foods. And and then I'm like, I came here to get ingredients for a meal that I'm preparing at home. Maybe for one other person. You may hella doing that math in the in the line, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so I'm just kind of looking at the boop, boop, and then instant boop. regret. And I'm just like, man, I could have literally gone to a gastropub, ordered an eighteen dollar burger and a beer, and gone out the door, and I'm saving ten bucks on the meal that I'm making. And look, I realize that. Uh, I'm not specifically choosing recipes based on frugality or based on how they're budgeted. And there are places where you can do that better, right? I'm just talking average engaging video in feed. This looks awesome. I'm going to try it out. But that says a lot to me that when I'm looking up a recipe and going to a grocery store and trying to execute that recipe, that it costs the same as like a, t- a $2 sign, $3 sign Yelp meal, right? That I could have gone to a restaurant and then I'm not cooking the food and I'm also not cleaning it up and I'm not going to the store. It's only good for two servings too. <laughs> and that's when that, that, that critical math comes into play. And I'm like, man, so how much was gas going here? Like I only get two servings, but if I get like a fat fried rice somewhere like that'll last me at least three meals so it i mean i feel you there's that instant regret of like the cost effectiveness of everything sure and maybe we're coming from a privileged place where we can go to a grocery store that has x amount of ingredients that we can readily get um but i mean to comment on that i it's just to commiserate with that type of, I guess, anxiety of spending on that type of luxury. Well, yeah, and I'm, and and from I don't know the grocery store perspective. Um, yeah, man, it just it's kind of it's it's mind boggling to me, man. Like because I am a person who works in food media. I am a person who I think better than average knows how to cook and also. I mean, at least I run finances for a 20 person company. Like I can probably do finances pretty well in comparison to the mean. Right. And I'm still going to a grocery store and being surprised at checkout because because I I am because maybe I'm not like so I'm just thinking of the amount of research or preparation or knowledge or education that it takes to go to a store, make something that not only you're happy about if you have kids like good luck making something that something they're stoked about and at the end of the day you you again there are lots of families there are lots of blogs there are lots of people who do this for you know there's lots of specific publications and blogs that show you how to eat a meal for under three or four dollars per person and again that knowledge is out there but for the average person who's theoretically trying to save money to the grocery store i think there's millions of americans that end up spending more and i don't know that's and that's where fast food connecting it back is still really important because if you don't have that knowledge base if you don't understand how to cook a meal like well then you're gonna want hot food 
and you're going to want something that you can afford. And the crazy thing with fast food is, I mean, it's more expensive than ever, but you can theoretically get a full meal in the five, six, seven dollar range and walk out the door with no additional expenses, right? Yeah. No tip, no gratuities per se, unless you choose to do so. And yeah, it's very common. We live, we obviously live either in Los Angeles or in Orange County where prices might be a bit higher here than other parts of the country. But yeah, man, the amount of times I've walked out with a 50 to $60 grocery and I'm bill, I'm just kind of like, what, what was I doing again? Is this, is this all worth everything that I'm putting in? No, I mean like, I've been, there's been times where I'm like, man, I'm just going to get, go to the drive through instead of Google. What's the, uh, what's the alternative to saffron? (laughs) (laughs) What what can I replace this expensive ingredient with? No, I'm just going to go through the drive through. So it's happened before. Varla, any comments on, on that subject matter at all? I can relate to spending much more at the grocery store than I intended to, but maybe it's because I'm a vegetarian or like maybe it's because a lot of the foods that I want to cook are like semi-similar to each other, like a lot of salads, a lot of pastas, whatever. I don't know that I spend that much making one meal. Sure. Yeah. And I think... Uh, and You're what, just indulgent, and, what, and, and, <laughs> and again, what you mentioned, um, I am coming from a privileged situation for sure. And I want I want to acknowledge that. And these are not my... This isn't like an everyday meal. This is like, again, it's typically I'm either creating dinner with my girlfriend or I'm like on a weekend and I have three or four hours and I actually want to do something. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, I definitely want to mention that because these are not like, oh, I'm not going to the store to make my Monday lunch for $60. Like that doesn't make any sense. No, you just saw something cool on on the internet. Yeah, Yeah. And, and I wanted to try to make it and it's kind of like that. I think is a really intimidating process though for anyone who yes the knowledge is available right like if you just want to search for something you can find it but that doesn't mean you're going to have the ingredients in the area they're going to be at a price point that you can afford and so it's like in some in some cases like the amount of knowledge is crippling because yes you can make a delicious lobster alfredo and that is a very enticing video that Food Beast or someone else just put out there. Yeah. Um, but it's another question entirely if if it makes sense for you. Yeah. Um, That's also why I like don't go to Whole Foods. Honestly, like I just know that I'm going to go in there and spend twice as much as what I want. Yeah, I mean, ditto. And Eli and I have been on this on the pod a lot. As much as we love walking into Whole Foods, we hate walking out. Um, and, and yeah, and that's, I think it's affordability of food in the U S isn't as big as a topic right now as healthcare or gun control or anything on that same magnitude, but it is absolutely a topic worth exploring as, as the middle class gets squeezed. Well, grocery stores are looking at Amazon and they're saying, okay, well, I'm going to raise my prices because I can't develop an e-commerce service or a delivery service that can compete, but I'm losing market share. So prices go up, right? But the people who feel it are the people that are shopping at those stores. And there's no, there's no real alternative, like than going to the grocery store, not in metropolitan areas, not when 
not in food de- in food deserts you're lucky to have a grocery store at all right and so um i think it's a topic worth exploring a bit more but the but fast food i think is an important pillar for a big segment of the u.s um and will continue to to be so especially with not that much wage growth mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. um Varela, you mentioned too that your your dad ate Subway in London. So he is does. there is there uh, is there a familiarity with the the Subway brand as well, and does it resonate in a similar way than as Taco Bell? I can't say I have an emotional attachment to Subway, but there would be times growing up where we would get it. Like that would that would just be like, oh, let's just get Subway for dinner tonight. That would just be a thing. Because I think Subway is in a very interesting place in 2019. I feel so the last time I think Subway had true mainstream cultural relevance is with the $5 foot long. Mm-hmm. I think that's the last time I remember people talking about Subway with such a positive affinity. It was also I mean I'm probably I'm thinking around like 2010. Right. I mean, it's the only reason why I went into Subway. Right. And I think it's a, a reason a lot of people went into Subway. And then because they had to eliminate that program, from what I remember, because of franchisee protests of, you know, we can't, we don't want to do a promotion that doesn't make money for the, for the store and, and for whatever. But they were also, they also expanded so much that, you know, Subway, at least where we are in California and where I've seen it in different parts of the U.S., it was as ubiquitous as Starbucks in certain scenarios where you feel like you could... I mean, in where we are in downtown Santa Ana, there's two Subways that I can literally e- walk to either of them within five minutes of our office, and that's walking five minutes, so that's not, that's not getting a vehicle at all. Um, but they're definitely doing some interesting things that I think, in aggregate, I really want to talk about because the first thing that we just that we just wrote about on foodbeast.com is is the fact that they're bringing Beyond into their meatball subs, which I think is an interesting addition and follows the cue of. Uh, a number of quick service brands that are integrating those products in new ways. So while that's interesting, in addition to that, we reported that they're testing King's Hawaiian bread baking in certain certain restaurants. So uh, for those not super familiar with King's Hawaiian, they're like a hyped sweet bread, mostly known for their rolls in grocery stores. Um, but so Subway is testing like that Portuguese style sweet bread with King's Hawaiian baked in stores. And then on top of that, we also reported the the Halo Top milkshakes, the, yeah. the milkshakes that they're bringing in. And I'm impressed, but I'm I'm also curious if you guys think that this will draw you into a subway. Yes or no on those any of those three things bringing you um, well, one I'm making an assumption that you may not have visited a subway. So talk Talk about your current experiences with Subway and if those three things will bring you into a store. I mean, when you talk about that five-minute walk, I don't make that five-minute walk to Subway. And why don't you? Uh, it, there's no $5 foot loss. <laughs> uh, I mean, to speak on these 
things that they're trying out right now, I think it just feels like they're grasping at straws a little bit, you know. Um, they, they've got a lot of ground to make up in terms of relevancy after suffering through many scandals sure. uh, it, mm-hmm. of, as of recently, um, whether they're at, that be the yoga mat scandal, uh, whether that be Jared, or whether that be taking the $5 me, uh, menu off, $5 footlong menu off. So, um, yeah, I, is is a Halo Top collab really going to push the needle? Um they're suddenly integrating milkshakes into Subway. That's kind of weird. Um, <laughs> um, also, I mean, the, the Beyond Meat, Meatball Subs, that makes a lot of sense. Everybody's riding that wave right now. Um, what was the other thing that you mentioned that they're trying to do? Yeah, I mean, they've done a number. They've done a number of things. Kings Kings Hawaiian oh, the bread Kings Hawaiian was one, yeah. was the one I mentioned. I guess I mean, sure. Like they're always trying little things to add into their menu, and everybody loves Kings Hawaiian, and I, I like that. They were big on their freshly baked breads type of deal, but not, I'm not stepping in until they got the five dollar footlongs <laughs> in there. So, and what makes you is that because you don't necessarily view the quality of Subway to be worth the $8, $9 foot long. Is that where that comes from? Because is that like, is a $5 12 inch sandwich, is that too high of an expectation from like a quick service brand at that price point or, or not? It's not like if I wanted like the same deli meats and cheeses and, and co- uh, condiments that they serve, I can make that at home. Right. You Honestly. can. For sure. It's also like not something that I ever crave. Like I'm never gonna be like, oh man, I really want Subway today. And I don't know that like those gimmicks would necessarily draw me in, but I'm also not someone that would get impossible meats as it is. Like if I don't eat meat because it doesn't appeal to me, like the texture and adding an impossible feature isn't gonna attract me to them. So is that saying you don't eat beyond or impossible either because they're so similar to me? Yeah, for sure. I tried my like first and last um, Beyond Burger. It might have been impossible. I don't remember. And the only reason I tried it is because I've never had a real like meat burger before. So I was like, okay, I want to see what the experience is like. And then I had it and I was like, okay, I never want this again. Well, simply, so- on tra- uh, simply on uh, consistency and mouthfeel. Yeah, I was like this, it, it was very red inside. And I was like, if people aren't eating meat because they don't want eat an animal like this is not an experience i'm asking for i rather have a burger that is not at all trying to be meat like burger lords their burgers are so good <laughs> and is and burger lords is, do they use like a, a like a vegetable texture yeah. burger yeah and it's not trying to be something else and i appreciate that but it also just works really well as a flavor like with all the condiments that you're that they're using whereas i don't know that like a fake meatball would work well with what I would normally order at Subway, like the veggie delight. That's so interesting because for the average consumer, I think they're finally excited that a non-morning star like veggie patty exists and they are actually getting mentally tricked by having a burger that feels like a burger and then it's like too far. (laughs) It's too far for vegetarians who haven't necessarily had that texture at all and so it's pretty i would imagine pretty jarring to experience it 
because it's so different than everything you've eaten for the majority yeah. of your life at least i asked the server if it was like for sure not me and she was like people ask us that all the time like i promise you're not accidentally eating meat do you know any other vegetarians or vegans such as yourself such as yourself who feel the same way about beyond an impossible oh, meat? for sure yeah like they're grossed out about mm -hmm. the similarity yeah i think again like i said if you're not eating meat you're not looking for that experience you're just looking for something that tastes good huh and I, I mean, maybe that's a big segment of people that choose not to eat Impossible and Beyond because it's like, why am I trying to get that meat experience when yeah. I'm like, I'm trying to avoid it. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad I tried it once. But even with like fake hot dogs, like I don't want it to, I don't know what a hot dog tastes like. But if it's too similar, like it's not something that I'm going to want to finish. I mean, that's interesting to me, but... I mean, at the end of the day, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be rubbing my hands together like, bro, I want that French onion with the Halo Top milkshake <laughs> sandwich and everything like that. And I'm, it's just, I don't know, Subway's just trying too many things. They, and yeah, because my next question for you guys is, are there sandwich chains that you do have a high affinity for? Is it the sandwich as a vessel that because of its accessibility and ability to kind of make it at home does that take away the appeal of eating eating that i mean what i will say is i mean the term sandwich is so broad and like we know for a fact that if we're talking about pop culture affinity the fried chicken sando the katsu sando these are sandwiches that have very high visibility in the food media world is that something that because Subway is processed meat or processed veggie patties on okay bread, is is the basis of their business model at fault? Is the sandwich at fault? Like, give me, give me your thoughts. I mean, it's no fault of their own. They're providing a service. Um, they're providing food for a community wherever they're at. Um, and I don't know if I'm speaking for the huge swath of our generation right now, but like whenever we eat, we're looking for a, a unique experience. Whenever we eat out, like when we want to put our dollar, not just into the food itself and the sustenance factor, but also is like, yo, what's the special thing that's, the, what's that little extra that's giving us? Why are we putting our dollars into this? Um, and you know as many bells and whistles that you want to add on to something we, we're also very savvy consumers enough to be like is this is this a gimmick so that's stuff that comes into play too yeah because everything that i've seen with subway when we talk about king swine when we talk about halo top when we talk about i don't know any they did a sauce with taste, taste made, which is like a, a food publisher in Los Angeles. And there was a specific like aioli, like they, they all feel like very marketing heavy things. Um, and, and truth be told, I probably eat Subway close to twice a month because mm -hmm. there's prop there's times every month where I want something really quick. I can walk down the street and be done in 15 minutes and like either eat it at my desk or just on to the next thing. And so that, and I also don't feel like shit for eating like a double cheeseburger, right? Like I can, I can, or like I, I would order the, the beyond meatballs because I like meatball subs. And in the same way I ordered Del Taco, uh, tacos with beyond, like I can instantly make that substitution feel like 
it might be a slightly better than the meat. Um, and so, you know, it, it kind of gives me that. But none of the above, I think, increases my frequency um, unless that bread is awesome. But to me, like bread's just part of the sandwich. So what do I want to put on that bread? I have, I have no idea because I don't I don't necessarily use sweet bread or have used it in that way i mean another thing i want to touch on is basically like from my personal experience i i'd rather support a smaller business mm-hmm. locally two minute walk across the street we go to chavitas it's this small sandwich restaurant they do juices and, and sandwiches as well they have uh, veggie options and i'd rather go there and put my money to support a smaller local business knowing where that money's going to than going to Subway per se. So yeah, that's same. another thing I think about. And I think the, the flavor experience is probably going to be a little bit more unique. Like no matter where you're at, all the Subways are going to have the same sauces. And I think people like that dependability, like my parents when they travel. But I want something that has more flavor and I'd rather try somewhere new or like try somewhere more local, like a local business rather than like getting honey mustard again let's dive into (laughs) let's let's dive into that a little bit because i want to give you guys a counter argument a majority of the subways that we've probably experienced aren't owned by subway they're local franchisees that have probably invested somewhere of the likes of the low very low six figures maybe as a max to like purchase that franchise and then and service the community and try to make a profit from it. Um, I definitely also knew people in high school whose parents were like franchisees of different restaurants. Like I knew someone specifically that's parents, like how they paid their bills was being a Subway franchisee. And like they're a small business too, in theory. So I'm curious about like is the different does the difference come down to like the perceived notion of a small business with someone that you know is on the block you might know them by name and they don't have a system in place that they're just doing what they can is like what's the separation in your head for the small business because by definition a lot of these subway locations are also small businesses too mm-hmm. that have their own families that have you know i mean when it gets down to it i just it's just the flavor sure the experience of it yeah yeah i mean if if you're bringing up the point of it's their own small business and their franchisees yeah i'll take that into account but then also it's like you're not you're not going to like lean over even if you knew the subway down the street is a small business owner that you're on a first name basis with that's not that's not gonna tilt you over to the other side because you know that there's a flavor profile and a different small business that isn't supported by a corporate infrastructure on that side. Is that kind of the difference that I'm gathering? That's where I would lean towards for sure. For sure. Yo, Izzy, do we have these otter pops? So guys, if you you, sure do, we sure do. If you haven't heard the news, otter pops recently announced that they'll be removing artificial ingredients from the pops themselves and for me who's a huge fan of of otter pops this this is a big deal for a couple of reasons but the first reason is it's branding i mean everyone or at least who i grew up with 
you will know the Otter Pops because of their distinctly neon style colors. I mean, the blue is not wasn't a natural blue you've ever seen before. The green, the green that I like had like a a similar um, a similar hue to. Uh, like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle yeah. slime, right? Like yep. these are they, radioactive they like, green. They were like very stark colors. And so Izzy just handed these Otter Pops out where there's actually color on the packaging itself. On to the front. Di- to distinguish the flavor. But the Otter Pop, the what's frozen inside this packaging, um, is, can you cut these, Iz? Um What's frozen inside the packaging is what kind of looks to be like a light orange, maybe would be the biggest compliment if you called it orange, but it's, it's like a, kind of an like kind of a low key color. How would you describe the color that you're seeing, guys? It's, it's a beige that just woke up. <laughs> <laughs> it's not fully there yet. <laughs> so how do you got how do you guys feel about um, one, have you had Otter Pops? Do you have an affiliation with it? Um, and Or not affiliation, but do you feel some type of way about it? And then on, on, kind of on top of that, uh, what are your thoughts about it's changing to, or it's changed to remove artificial ingredients? Uh, off the dome, I think that, great, they're gonna re- remove artificial ingredients and they're, they're going healthy and it's I'm all for that and it looks like it's just frozen applesauce sure why not and applesauce is, is healthy and uh, yeah I'm all for that but growing up I was like I want Sir Isaac Lime <laughs> Sir Isaac Lime has this really dope radioactive green and I just want it and I'm, I'm this is my first time trying the new uh, healthier version that I guess it's what do they use like apple it looks like applesauce. <laughs> yeah, it definitely, it looks like, that's a really good description of it looking like frozen applesauce. So I just took a bite of my flavor, which is strawberry short cook, kook. <laughs> yep, that's, kook. that's what it is. Short strawberry kook. short kook. What's a kook? All right, so it looks like the ingredients for all of them are the same water, apple juice from concentrate, sugar, and just like citric acid and all that other stuff that you usually see in these type of things. But yeah, they're not even, I don't know, are you guys distinguishing the flavors? Because as far as the ingredients, they all are the same. Yeah, it's, it's not separating the ingredients. Probably really. have you grown up eating? I definitely pops? didn't grow up with these, like this specific brand, but I had like popsicles like this. Ice just pops. pops. Yeah. Um, I thought I tasted strawberry, but now that you're saying it's just apple, like I might have just imagined the strawberry. <laughs> I think I think that's very powerful in either perception and packaging, because I too, Verali, was like, oh, strawberry, strawberry short flavor, like cool. They're probably using strawberries, and this is delicious. Like my, it's good. My first thought was, oh wow, they probably put strawberry in that. So that's definitely not what they did. <laughs> It's it's still naturally flavored with natural flavors. Like that's what's literally says it on here. So what I will what I will say is, you know, this isn't necessarily the full step toward health that 
when they say they're getting rid of art- artificial colors, you know, that's definitely like a step. Um, but they taste exactly the same to me growing up. Like, dude, what's your fl- what flavor do you have? I got the Sir Isaac lime, and it tastes like Sir Isaac lime of 1993. So, oh, I'm, gl- I'm glad to hear that because I don't remember eating a strawberry like i remember the like blue raspberry yeah i remember the lime and again i don't i think i would always try to go for those two so i don't my palate may not have been well accustomed to the flavor the other flavors tastes exactly the same to me interesting well because i think i mean because i think they would kind of f up if it didn't taste at least similar no because if you're taking out ingredients and changing the product altogether then you're also then you also have to convince people to buy it and try it again. But that makes I'm concerned now. It's like how are you going to take out all those unhealthy <laughs> ingredients? Right now I'm tasting it and it tastes exactly like the same thing, and it tastes. I mean I'm not I don't know if saying synthetic is the right word because I'm not trying to bash on auto pops at all, but it just tastes like it. It doesn't taste like natural. <laughs> It tastes good. It tastes great. I can't tell if it's my mind, but as soon as you said apple, Izzy, I all I can taste is apple. Yeah. And 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 Varali and I are having the like the same one. Can you can you open up a strawberry one for Reach? Is because I now I can't now apple can't leave my mind, and I love. I, I'm also a huge fan of apple in general. Love applesauce. Like I'll buy those. You're that Mott's guy. No, not even. You know the 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 ones that you squeeze that are, are like that are built for kids, or at least the they best. seem marketed. They're expensive. They're way expensive, but they're it, so good. Like I put them in the refrigerator, and I'm just I just I can kill a box easy in a week because yeah. I'm oh on the go for work. Just like that's my breakfast. It tastes like Barry. Oh, he gave me the grape one, Alexander the Grape. Oh. Not bad. And I like this one too. I remember growing up with Alexander the Grape, and it tastes just like Alexander the Grape back then. It tastes like grape juice. All the right, purple guys. stuff. It tastes like apple to me. What if the originals were it meant does, to taste like apple? I don't taste any apple at and all. And that's to be just honest. what we're tasting right now. I'm tasting the OG flavors. So shout out to Otter Pops for getting rid of this. Artificial dyes and artificial stuff is still making it taste like the the OG. So, read the article on foodbeast.com. Major points are 100% fr- uh, fruit juice, ditching dyes, light tan color. These are only available in California, Oregon, and Washington currently at Costco. Mm. So, if you're looking for these, everywhere else will have... The Otter Pops that you probably know and love. But check track these down at Costco's in California, Oregon, and Washington. Before we wrap, uh, I wanted to uh, remind you guys that if you're uh, listening to this pod as, as, we, as we debut them, um, we've got a great noodle and music festival coming up called Nude Beach on Sunday, September 1st of Labor Day weekend. DJ Snoopadelic, a.k.a. Snoop Dogg, 
We have Jeffrey Satorius, a.k.a. Dash Berlin, E-40. 40 funds are well. And more on our music stage. And we've got 20 world premiere menu items. Make sure to look up Nude Beach on Facebook to get in a... Uh, to see our Facebook event and that's where we're putting lots of updates or follow us at nudes, 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 N O O D S, um, where we're also giving updates about that festival. Um, Virali, where can people find you on social media and beyond? I am at Virali on Instagram, V I R A L I. And at Virali Dave on Twitter, that's V-I-R-A-L-I-D-A-V-E. Reach, where can people find you, brother? Reach Ginto on Instagram, R-E-A-C-H-G-U-I-N-T-O. On Twitter, I am Reach Hard, Reach underscore hard. And follow myself, Jeffrey Kutnick, and the uh, and Food Beast Ketchup. Subscribe wherever you find podcasts, and we'll see you guys next week. Guys, thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. Later, guys. Bye.